1 Thessalonians. A little background. Authorship, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Apostle Paul, we've seen him, probably wrote 27% of the New Testament. Place, it was written from Corinth. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 17 and 18, uh, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was there when he wrote. This is uh, fluid on, on the date. Some say 49 as far as 54 A.D., but it was definitely written during Paul's second missionary journey. Lastly, the occasion, Timothy brings good news to Paul from Thessalonica. So uh, Timothy goes to Paul and he says, Paul, this is what's taking place at Thessalonica. And thus it caused Paul to write the letter. Well, the purpose of writing, to encourage in the midst of hardship. To encourage in the midst of hardship. In other words, to persevere. Keep going forward. And Paul will un unveil some things here that will actually help us. Secondly, refu he refutes false charges from the enemies of the gospel. The apostle Paul was being charged there at Thessalonica with the idea that he was out for money and he was out for fame and he was out for these other issues. And the apostle Paul says, no. That is not why we preach the gospel. That is not why we do our ministry. We do not, get, we do, not do this to gain popularity, finances, whatever. Thirdly, he corrects error in the church, mainly centered around the day of the Lord. That is, uh, when Christ returns and we go to be with him, uh, people had become lazy, and the apostle Paul said, no, you keep working. And lastly, he teaches about eschatology. That is the day of the Lord when Christ will return. And I don't know about you, boys and girls, but I am ready for Christ to return. Yeah. So let's see what the Apostle Paul writes today. First of all, he tells us to work through hardships and begins with the attitude. And I want you to catch this. For you yourselves know, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. What a wonderful attitude by the Apostle Paul. If you go back and you read verse 9 of chapter 1, you read this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Apostle Paul had a mindset, no matter what was thrown at him, no matter what would come his way, he was going to stick to it because whatever he was called to do by God, that it was not in vain. And I know some, sometimes you look at this, pastors do it too, I'm just as guilty as the next person. You look at your ministry based on what you see, not by what God is doing. Because sometimes you do a ministry, you may not see the results of it for many, 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 many years. It may take a long time for uh, ministry to actually blossom and, and you see and uh, come to understand. Uh, kinos is the Greek word here for not in vain. Kinos. It means without a result or without an effect. I know there's pastors in the pulpit today that preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and they do not see any results or they see lack of results. That does not mean for these pastors that struggle with this, and all of us do it at times, including myself, kind of sharing my heart here. Sometimes we look at ministry and we go, where is God? And maybe you do that in your own ministry. You've got your own ministry and, and you see, 
I don't understand. I do this day in and day out or week in and week out. Every Sunday I do this and I don't see any results. Be strong. Be strong. Stay the course. God's not done yet. It does not mean that God is not at work. Case in point, several Christmases ago, I received a letter from a couple that I had counseled, that I had married, and they were having difficulties, but she wrote me a letter. This was years after I had married them, and she said, thank you for your counsel. You know what that did to my heart? It made me realize that what I did was important in their life. This is something else. If you have somebody here in the church that's working hard in the church, why not be an encourager to them? Go up and say, you know what? I know things don't look good right now, but I'm going to tell you God is still at work. I, this, is, this is one of the verses I want you to remember. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It is not in vain. God's word does not come back void. Neither will the ministries that he's given you to do. And if I could say this as, as your pastor, I want to thank all of those that work so hard in this church. Week in and week out. Struggle through lack of attendance. Struggle through uh, getting people to do things. I want, as your pastor, I want to thank you for staying the course. Thank you. And I'm going to tell you, When God gets ready to move, it will be unmistakable. You will see the hand of God and it will explode. Now, he goes on to talk here about conflict. So his, his attitude was pretty good. You know, I don't care. Just stay, stay the course. I know that God's work is not in vain. And we'll be rewarded for it when we get to heaven. Now, notice what Paul says in verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know. What is Paul talking about? Well, if you look at the map, here you have Philippi. Here you have Thessalonica. And down here you have Corinth, which is where Paul was writing it from. So he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Now, of course, they would know that Paul had been shamefully treated at Philippi. Look at, look at the map. It's the next town over. News would have gotten back to Thessalonica. Now, the Apostle Paul at Philippi was beaten. He was jailed. And by the way, the Apostle Paul was wrongly jailed. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was doing those things. But he was a Roman citizen. The magistrates had no business putting Paul in prison without a trial. And matter of fact, when, when in the Philippian jailer in the midnight hour and Paul and Silas are praying and the jails, the jail doors were open, and there was this big earthquake, and the jailer said, What must I do? And he says, Don't do anything because we're all here. And then the Philippian jailer says, What must I do to be saved? He was led to Christ. They went to his home. They they ministered to the family, came back, and the magistrates tried to get rid of Paul quietly. And Paul says, No, have the magistrates they know that they're not supposed to convict me without a trial because I'm a Roman citizen. They, they were just saying, 
go back, uh, we're going to send a police, and you, you, you go back and just release him. Paul says, no, I want them to come down and release me. They know they were wrong, but Paul didn't bring up charges. He just handled conflict. He stated what was wrong, and then he moved on. Propasco, propasco. That means to experience suffering. Most of us do not get beaten for the ministry today. But nonetheless, you can expect some type of suffering when you do ministry. And in fact, when you do life as, as a Christian, all those who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. So you're going to experience some type of suffering, some type of kickback. And as your pastor, I say this, stay strong persevere keep pushing forward don't give up don't don't allow satan and his opportunities and his attempts against you cause you to falter and stumble to where where you cannot get back up get back up i'm telling you you keep pressing forward to the to the prize the high calling of jesus christ you keep moving please if if you're discouraged in ministry today keep going be strong be be strong and the Apostle Paul adds this in verse 2. We, have, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. You know, you have, here you have the Apostle Paul being beaten, dragged around, stoned in other places. And, and the Apostle Paul says, in, 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 the, in the midst of all of this conflict, in the midst of personal suffering, pain, I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel. This word boldness means to speak boldly. It just means to speak boldly. That Roger Olson, in an article, I don't really know Roger Olson, but uh, in an article he wrote, What has happened to evangelical Christianity of not long ago? In the article he talks about, you know, the church used to be the place where we would uh, teach evangelism, where we would go out into the highways and byways of life and we would evangelize. It was a place where we existed as extended families. Sunday was a day of worship. It wasn't an option or uh, people came to church and they worshiped God. There were revivals. Of course, we did one several years, years ago, but revivals are drying up. There's sometimes, I just want to take a big old tent during the summer, stick it out here and have a revival in, in, in the community. We get enough noise from the bar over there, we can make some noise of our own outside, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shutting down programs during the summer because we need time off. This is what he's writing. Evangelism and missions. But what he really wrote was this. The church has lost its voice. The Apostle Paul says here, we had boldness in the midst of suffering and we still preached the gospel of God. Lelo euangelion. Lelo euangelion. To declare the gospel. You know what that means? To tell good news. Listen. We have, 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ good news. What is the good news? The good news is that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll be saved. You guys and gals know this. I believe once you are in Christ, you are always in Christ. You never lose that salvation. Otherwise, you have to keep putting Christ back up on the cross. Paul makes the argument in Galatians. You have to keep putting Christ back up on the cross and crucify him all over again. So you can only be saved as many times as Christ died. He died once. You can only be saved once. And what happens is we forget the fact that the good news is that when we truly trust in Jesus Christ, we are his. That goes nowhere. You, you, you will never lose that salvation. Even in the midst of rebellion and, and whatever you do, uh, you walk away. If you've truly been saved, you are his. That's good news. And the fact is that when you die, you go to be with him. That's wonderful news. Can you think of a scientist? By the way, they've recently, uh, Israel scientists have discovered a cure for cancer, which should be out in about, I don't know, three years or so, two, two or three years. Uh, but can you imagine, can you imagine a, a doctor who has invented the cure for cancer and just keeping it to himself? Brothers and sisters, we have the cure for sin. And a relationship with God. His name is Jesus Christ. Tell people about Christ. Talk to them about Jesus. It's not hard to do. And notice what Paul says here. <laughs> Listen to this. We had boldness in our God. And then drops down and says the gospel of God. From start to finish the gospel is God's idea. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and he pushed them outside. He already knew that before the foundations of the world because he is God. And he had a plan in place to redeem mankind. So the gospel is not my idea. It's not your idea. This is God's idea. And he's reaching down and wanting to save people who are lost. You know how I feel about sharing the gospel. All you have to do is say how it was before Christ how it was the moment you trusted in Christ, and how it is now. And then share John 3.16. That's pretty simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is where it starts. Building relationships. Building relationships I want to encourage you as your pastor to adopt to adopt a lost person I don't want to make that sound funny but invest in a lost person spend time with that person I'm not telling you to, to get into their sin like they do but I want you to invest in a, in a lost person pray for that lost person Look for opportunities to share the gospel. When you do that, they begin to get it that, wow, there's something different about you. There's something unique about you. I want to know more about this. And then you're able to conversationally share the gospel. This isn't, this isn't, in maybe some cases they do need it, but in most cases, you don't try to take this and cram it down their throat. I only did that one time on a guy that was dying. He trusted in Christ, but it took this. But brothers and sisters, your life should reflect the gospel. 
They should see your love for them. We're, we, don't, we don't hate unbelievers. Please, please understand that. We do not hate unbelievers. We love them so that they may come to saving faith in Christ and become a believer. That's why we do it. And the Apostle Paul says here, I was bold to declare to you the gospel, e e even to a jailer who had imprisoned him and Silas. Now, lastly, stay the course, keep working, and please God, not men. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Now, here the, here the Apostle Paul takes an inventory of his, of his ministry. Now, he's being accused of the same things that he just listed. Because if you go and you look at uh, the next verse in verse 5, For we never came to you with flattery, as you know, nor a pretext for greed. They didn't want money. God is our witness. That's the best witness you could call on, right? <laughs> God knows the heart. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Plane is the word for error. And this is an interesting word, really. This word means a misleading belief or a deceptive belief. Okay, so we need, show me what, 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 what you're talking about, Pastor Mike, if, if this is a deceptive belief. How can somebody preach a deceptive belief? Anybody know this guy? This is Kenneth Copeland. Copeland. I got a quick video I want to show you about deceptive teaching. Uh, Kenneth Copeland now is trying to describe God's slot machine that he has in heaven. Watch this. Like there's a big old lever sticking up out there in front of you, get a hold of it, and I mean you get it in your hand. You got your teeth gritted? You got a good grip on it? And grip it down some more. And you say this, money! you shout about it. That is deceptive belief. I guarantee you as your pastor, you will never hear me say, grab the bar and pull down. <laughs> you will not ever hear me say that. In fact, I want, and I've never had one person who believes this explain to me how come the Son of Man had no place to lay their head? How come the apostles were broke? How come uh, there was no uh, uh, apostle that was uh, money, that they had money after money? No, did, did they lack faith? No. Money is the root of all evil. So if you want money, you better be careful. That's right. <laughs> you need to be careful with it. Or impurity. Now this word refers to sexual, uh, sexual impurity or, and I like this translation a little better, the unclean things. So what is he writing here when, when Paul says, uh, spring from error, that was deceptive belief, 
the impurity that Paul is talking about, uh, Dr. Michael Martin wrote this in his commentary, and I agree with him. There is no hint in the letter of Acts, uh, the Acts account that Paul and his associates had been accused of sexual impropriety or ritual prostitution. The specific references that follow, which I already read you, this verse contains denials of greed, man-pleasing, and manipulative, manipulative flattery. It is, like, it is likely that these, rather than the sexual impropriety, were the activities Paul was denying. Nowhere in there was the Apostle Paul ever accused of sexual immorality. But what he was accused of was using the pulpit for a place of prosperity. Now, I can tell you why Kenneth Copeland preaches deceptive gospel. Because he lives in a mansion. And he wants to keep that you could charge. I'll charge him that. There's others that I can charge, and I'm not going to get into that today. But it's simply to make a point. This is deceptive belief. Getting people to believe something that is not in the gospel. Did you see how many people were there? And do you know why they're there? Because most of them want money. They are broke or, or in, in a bad spot. And so if you get a preacher up there saying, pull the lever and God will give you cash, of course you're going to have a big church. I, I, just, I, I, I just refuse. I just refuse. I will not compromise the truth of the gospel. And that, that is my promise to you as your pastor. I will never compromise the, the gospel message. And then he said, any attempt to deceive, and that's uh, dolos, which means to trick, Use, uh, if you could do it this way, you know how the, how the uh, I watched a magician one time who uh, raised this girl on a, on a platform and it looks like she's, but, but there is, it looks like she's floating, but really there is a trick behind that. What, what you don't see is a bar behind it that raises the girl. It's not, he's not really levitating the girl. And this is what Paul was saying. Hey, Paul, you, you're trying to trick people. Really? I'm preaching the gospel of God, and you think I'm trying to trick people. No, no. I think, what, I think what was really happening here, you know what I really think was happening here? The false teachers were starting to lose income as the apostle Paul preached the truth. He was cutting in to their money. And so the best way to do it is he's not preaching the truth. Oh, yeah, well, what is your truth? Oftentimes we get into truth and what it is to us rather than Newt Larson, my friend and mentor, taught a preaching class, and he said this. Um, when you preach something, somebody could, should ask you, hey, where'd you get that? Well, I got mine right here. You notice I've systematically gone through each phrase of this verse. I haven't deviated except for one passage that I gave you that was in relation to this. Where did you get that? And then his aim, the Apostle Paul's aim. So you have his motives. Motives was not to please man, and his, his aim. Watch this. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted, and that word entrust means to uh, give somebody a care of something. Uh, so Paul had been entrusted by God with the gospel approved by God. And that word means to regard something as genuine. 
And it also means by testing. Back in the day, uh, gold, let's, we'll, we'll go with gold. Peter writes about this too. Uh, gold was put into a, uh, a, a bowl furnace type thing and it would be lit to high intense uh, degree. As the gold would slowly begin to melt, the dross would come to the top. The infirmities would come to the top. And they would scrape the infirmities off. They would scrape the infirmities off so that what you have left is nothing but pure gold. And brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul's heart had been tested by God. And God says, yes, I can give Paul charge of the gospel because I know his heart. The question is, would God say the same thing of you and me today? Can God trust us with the gospel? Can God trust us to share the message of grace and love and peace? We will be tested, and it, it, we, our, all of our works will be tested by fire. Many of us know that. And this, this, is why, this is why our motives are so, so, so important. If you put something in the offering plate and you go like this, you've gotten your reward. You remember how, I, how I've told you for 10 years how to get to the heart of your motives? Ask this question, why am I doing what I am doing? If I'm doing it to be seen by men, then you need to stop doing it. You need to be seen by God. And very, 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 very easy. My friend Newt Larson, I mentioned him earlier, the word approved was used in reference to metal purifying. It was the testing of a metal to prove the genuineness. That's what that word means, genuineness. The implication is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy bore the approval and commission of God because they had been proved uh, through divine testing. Let me, let me say this, brothers and sisters. We have been giving, given God. Think of it this way. God has given this church to us to carry out his ministry. We have been entrusted with the gospel message. What do we do with it? Are we using that trust well? And I get it. Sometimes we get frustrated and we get, we get to where we don't see God doing anything. But I'm telling you as your pastor, God is at work and eventually it begins to be revealed. Stay strong. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep what God has entrusted to you. If, if you're on the hospitality team, keep pushing forward. If you're on the communication team, keep pushing forward. Whatever team you're on, keep pushing forward because God will bless it. It will not come back void. God will use, and you pray to him and ask him to guide you and direct you, and he will. And the Apostle Paul closes with this. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Arisco, to please. That word means to accommodate. Paul says, I don't accommodate men. By the way, 
By the way, Paul says this to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they will heap themselves teachers having itching ears. Pastor, please tell me what I want to hear. That's the problem with our culture today. I see this, and I know this as a pastor. There are pastors that, I, I honestly, I don't even know if they use the word sin. I don't, I don't know. I've heard a couple of them, and a couple of them I can only watch for like two or three minutes, and then I have to shut them down because I go, this is going nowhere. That doesn't mean I'm perfect and I can't make mistakes in a pulpit. I get that. But Paul says, I'm not, I'm not here to please man. I'm not here to please you. I'm here to obey God. That should be our own lives too. You know that? That should be our own lives. We should want to please God with our life. Would you agree with that? Okay, that's, that's pretty good. We're, we're, we're not here to tickle men's ears. But to please God, Paul writes, I, rather than accommodating man, I want to accommodate God. After all, God was the one that redeemed me by the blood of Christ. I love Proverbs 21 too. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. <laughs> but the Lord weighs the heart. Let me encourage you today. Make sure, make sure that why you are doing ministry here is for God. And God will know that it's your desire to please him and ultimately and finally he will bless you 